Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasad Podcast, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. My first thought, um, I was jotting these things down this morning. Uh, Why bother? Why do we study the history of children and childhood? So a few thoughts. I mean, I think people should just talk about it. But um, one is to illuminate the lives of adults. Certainly the the psychological perspective on children, that very early 1960s stuff, that came out, whether it was Phil Grevin or John Demos or, or Lloyd DeMouse, was really about illuminating the, 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 uh, the lives of adults. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? I mean, I, but that is a very particular take on children. The other is to document a transitory experience, part of a life course experience, which is the, the experience of children at different stages as they move through. Uh, the other one, and it's the one that unfortunately Sarah Mazza seems to be um, committed to or uh, obsessed by, is to order in order to see uh, it's in order to see other things through children, uh, to see with children is the term that she used, and that's a kind of cultural take. Again, there's nothing wrong with that either. But there's also nothing exclusive about any of these different things. And I think that one of the things that we try to do both organizationally and in terms of encouraging students at this early stage was to let a thousand flowers bloom. I mean, to literally allow different ways of seeing and seeing through children, seeing, looking at children, looking at adults and their childhoods, all of those things, as well as the institutions surrounding children, to develop. And and as Steve, I think, wonderfully put it in his piece, with that extraordinary bibliography that he had in his footnotes, there's been an enormous amount of work that's done because we didn't just channel the history of children and childhood in a particular direction. I mean, we, we wanted it to flourish in different ways. And I think we have succeeded in doing that, okay. Um, and I, I think we should be proud of that success and we, and we need to talk about that. That doesn't mean there aren't problems and I think there are plenty of problems, okay. And Massa has looked at uh, the most important one, which I, I wanna get to at the very end, actually. Um, it is not the case that all historians of childhood set their holy grail as the recovery of the voices of children themselves. We're not stupid. We have always known, we've always known, and we've, and we've addressed the issue of how difficult it is, if not impossible, to retrieve those voices in an, in an unmediated way. I mean, it's just true. 
But that's true about the history of slavery, too. I mean, it's true about so many histories. I mean, that's, and, and so, and I don't think that's been our holy grail. On the contrary, if you look at the range of things that have been done, that has definitely not been. And even Sarah Massa sees that because she, she had, talks about certain kinds of people who have done her preferred kind of history, which is a kind of cultural history. Okay. Therefore, I think we need to evaluate what we've done and move towards the future. Um, and I don't think we should just say we've, we've failed. That's I, I, just wrong. Um, I, I, we need to face a couple of things. Okay, and then it's the last thing I'm going to say. The first is that I, and I'm glad Banked is here, that I, I seriously think that the objectives and the manner, the approach of historians of childhood and children in Europe, like European histories and historians in general, is different than the way Americans have approached it. And we might want to discuss that. Maybe because European historians have had in the always a political framework um, uh, and a particular historical map that and if things don't address that framework and that map, they're not relevant. American historians have been a lot more practical, I think, in all the kinds of history that they do. And I think that shows in the history of childhood. I mean, so that some people like Steve and me for that matter, are interested in children's history, at least in part, because we're interested in children in the present. And I'm not convinced that European historians ever are interested in, in attaching their concerns with the, history, with the history of children to their concerns to the history, uh, to the, the present status of children. Mike Grossberg is interested in children's rights you were talking about him before and he's interested in, in some ways in tracing the history of children's rights so and i'm i don't see that in the european i can be set wrong I, you can tell me i'm wrong about that so i think we have to just face that and talk about how we address that because european historians to this day in berkeley and everywhere else still dominate the the agenda of history the historic, the discipline itself, the disciplinary agenda is addressed You're by talking Europe. about histori European historians in America. Or, or in, Amer or in, in America, absolutely okay. in America, not in Europe. No, 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 no. Um, European historians in America, thank you, Ben. Okay. And if you look at, um, if you look at the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton, they've never had an American historian. In other words, the, the European his, the, the history of Europe has set the agenda. Now, that may not last for all kinds of reasons, but it's certainly in a disciplinary way still there. And I think that's partly what Sarah Matza is also doing and why she sees things the way she does. So she doesn't acknowledge American history as, and, its, and its agenda. One of the things she notes, for example, is that she says 56% of all the people in, um, in, who do the history of childhood are Americanists or, or Canadians. Well, my attitude is, of course, that means 34% are non-Americans and Canadians, which is amazing, actually, that we have, yeah. a, we have an international presence like that. But for her, that also means it 
the way we think is the American way and the Canadian way of thinking, which from her point of view as a Europeanist isn't theoretical enough. I mean, let's just be straight out there. We, we don't attach ourselves to theory. We don't attach ourselves to the larger agenda, which is the development of the nation state. <sighs> no? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm, I, I think it's very clarifying. I, I, thank you, Paul. Okay, I mean, that's... That's I'm just sighing fair. over the, 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 in, in, well, the complexity they of this. Been able, they have not been able to liberate themselves from that. Peter Stern said to me some time ago when we met at a, at a conference, I think it was in San Diego, he said, the problem with most historians who look at childhood is that they're still looking at childhood with the eyes and the timing and the timeline that has nothing to do with the history of children. So I'm just gonna throw that out to you. The Europeanists are much more that than anything else because they look at it, they, it has to attach, it has to be relevant to the larger questions which they've posed themselves. All right, the final thing I'm gonna say is, I think the most serious thing that Mads have brought up, and I do think we, we need to somehow address this, is that we're not placing people, graduate students, and future members of our profession in slots called the history of childhood and children. That I think is a very serious matter. And I think it needs and, and requires discussion. Um, uh, and I, I, I just throw it out there. I, I've said my piece, I've finished. I hope that's not all of it, but <laughs> I, I can say as someone who advocated for a long time to establish public history uh, within history departments, I think it's the same problem there. Uh, and it was always the Europeanist or at least the non-Americanist who fought hardest against the idea of public history, which in my mind, they could be public historians just as much as Americanists. I, I didn't understand why they resisted that so much, but I do think it goes back to that traditionalism, that grasp of theory as the only essence of history and the relativism of history only relating to what's been done before. Precisely. I, I, I couldn't agree more and it, always made me angry and I think it's why history is not just filling slots for historians of childhood. History departments aren't filling slots for history of anything right now. So that's, that but that's right now. Problem. Yeah. That's certainly right now. And, and and could we not see that particular hiatus right now, which is gonna last several years, as actually providing potential to recreate the definitions so that the history of childhood and public history will have more of a place. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'd like to though uh, caution us that at UT Austin there are interdisciplinary spheres and childhood is one of those spheres. Good. Uh, so at you know some major research universities, while you don't hire a historian of childhood, there is a research-oriented slot that you're automatically part of if you work on that. And the connections are really with psychology and political science. It's on the social science end, not the literary end nice. at all. 
No, I agree. I just wrote a letter of recommendation yesterday to endorse a proposal for a childhood and youth studies program for exactly the same reason. And I came at it from an administrator's perspective of interdisciplinary and flexibility of the faculty, but talked about how important it was to have a historian in that position. So those are the kinds of things that we can also bring into the discussion. But I think the core of responding to MASA is exactly what Paula laid out about how, and I know Steve, you feel the same way, that, that her essay was quite a slam at the very field of the history of childhood. Yeah, I, I found it utterly dismissive. And, you know, where I see the theory behind our field is we're interested in the issue of socialization. We're interested in identity formation. We're interested in the development of new sensibilities. Uh, we're interested in gender formation. And all these issues force us to fixate on childhood because that's the crucible in which all this is generated. So you're suggesting that what we're really interested in is that first, that first one that I suggested, that we study children in order to illuminate the lives of adults, which is, I, I think that's utterly- Human development, I, I mean, I would view it differently, that we're interested in human development, but we're all Freudians to a certain extent, and we do believe that the core period of formation of identities is in childhood and youth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'm also interested, if I, if I can just, I mean, I, I think about the, the vast majority of all people historically have been children. The majority of them have never grown up because they died. Yeah. And so the question that I was posing years ago in my mind was, do these human beings have a history? People who don't grow up, do they also have a history? Um, and I, I think that's, it's a question that doesn't, you know, it's not an answer. It's a question that's worth exploring. And I think we have been trying to explore just that, you know, when we give those statistics on mortality, infant mortality or childhood mortality. It means something. I, I agree. For me, it was about the missing history, the missing stories, um, the outsiders who weren't included. Uh, this week in Philadelphia, there were two youngsters who died in a terrible circumstance, and there was, a, there was an obituary in the newspaper for them. Uh, I think the girl was eight and the boy was three or something. I mean, they were pretty young. And my husband, who's a newspaper guy, remarked that it was unusual to have obituaries in the paper, um, name identified obituaries with life stories for people that young, uh, because the idea was that they, they didn't have a story to tell yet. You know, that they didn't count. They didn't count. And, and I felt that it was a great breakthrough to see that. Fascinating. In your, in your message to me, Paula, you uh, viewed this moment as a kind of inflection point for our field. 
as a moment when older paradigms that were built around ideas like agency have exhausted themselves and that we're going to need to think about childhood and its history in new ways. Uh, does that still resonate with you? Absolutely. I mean, I frankly, I don't know, did I share my email with the, with the rest of you when I wrote, when I originally wrote to Steve? I think I may not have. Okay, well, I, I, I saw it. I think you I saw it. It, was, it, was, it became part of the... Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was part of the cycle there. But uh, I mean, I, I do appreciate very much your presentation, Paula. I think it's very illuminating for me. I wasn't quite aware of the where Martha kind of ends up in the American historiography and the, her position there as a Europeanist. The, 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 because I, I found her discussion so kind of ignorant about what's been going on within the history of childhood. So I was kind of surprised that she, she felt compelled or had the authority to say that she had an opinion about it. But she didn't feel that she was grounded in it in, in a way which kind of surprised me. But I mean, from a European historian's point of view on on the history on the history of childhood, I think it kind of takes up elements, in my understanding, from from all for the different sides that you mentioned. I mean, I do think that the, I mean, uh, history of childhood as an interdisciplinary field is very strong in parts of the European tradition in Europe. I mean, it's very. I mean, sociology relationship to psychology, Alan Prout, I mean, all that kind of the sociology of childhood and all that is very, very important in, in framing the history of childhood. But that also means, in a sense, that, that a lot of the history of childhood was also been very closely tied to given a historical reflection on, on the life of children today with the way they come out in social policy, in the, the politics of children. So it's very, I mean, it's, it reminds me a little bit about what you're saying, what you've been, I mean, we've, I mean, it's been kind of stimulating about the rights of children today and how that reflects the past. So it's very kind of present in that sense. On the other hand, it's also history that is a pretty social science influenced. I mean, it's very kind of theoretically oriented. I mean, there's no way you can write the history of childhood without referring to or to any other kind of, I mean, to, to place it and to place it in a relationship. And for me, it's been very important in all contexts uh, that I've been able to, to in it, which also to show that the history of childhood is also relevant for us to understand the, the general development of the welfare state and stuff like that, that you cannot understand the welfare state without a history of childhood, which then means that you have to... Chris certainly made that clear in the United States. That you Chris has made that clear in the United States. It's absolutely... No, definitely. No, definitely. I mean, I think that, I mean, a lot of the work that you've been doing kind of speaks to the same thing uh, and relates to that kind of issue. But I think it's kind of tastes up... <clears throat> Though, on the other hand, I do think that you're right in the critique of... of uh, the American historians, in the sense that they are their histories, the American Europeanists uh, are then tied into the nation state uh, that that they have, and so are we. I mean, I think that there is a great want of comparative studies and a very lack of kind of bridging outside. And I'm kind of suffering from that too. I mean, I'm doing his Swedish history, 
and I tie it to the Swedish nation state. On the other hand, your lack of doing it, I mean, the American historian's lack of doing it implies something else. The, the kind of lack of some of, the lack of a kind of, well, not then, I mean, without, I mean, generally that, that, I mean, all explanations we do will all ultimately end up saying, well, it's because of the state, it's because of the development of society, it's because of that. While you say, well, it's because of the psychological professionals. I mean, it's, it's, you kind of, you have your other framework because you don't refer to the, to the, to the U.S. as a state because it's something else. Some, some people do, of course. I mean, that, yeah, some, Oh, yeah. I mean, it, we're grossly generalizing here. Thank, but one of the things that you've said is just sparked a kind of light bulb in me. The difference between European historians who are European and who operate within Europe and who may be turned to for policy issues and European historians in the United States who are never turned to by European countries for policy issues. So they're, they're the outsiders who are not drawn into these conversations. So they, all they have is the, is, is the historic, the historian's framework, not even the yeah. historical framework, but the yeah. historian's framework. You know, and so the, they're, the, they're in some ways the outsiders. Yeah. Um, so I just literally just thought of that because yeah. there is this yeah. huge difference that, you're, that you've put your finger on. One thing that strikes me is that there's a kind of generational dimension to our field. Uh, it began, grew out of the history of education. It then had a psychohistory moment with Demos and Grevin and Zuckerman, etc. And then it turned to the history of children as independent agents mm -hmm. and policy and legal history. Uh, then the cultural turn affected us. Um, you know, and the question is, where do we go from here now? Okay. Can't repeat what we've been. Well, doing. I think I think Paula also said something else in terms of of uh, that. I don't know whether you. Well, that's spurred the talk with me is that one of the reasons is actually looking at children is always the only way by to understand adulthood or whatever is understanding children because I mean childhood is relational. There is no such thing as childhood if there weren't any adulthood. And, and that in itself means that the whole issue of coming of age, being taking, taking power, be, becoming an adult and a full citizen is really a matter of defining borders between different stages. And this definition of that is so politically important. And I mean, just now I'm studying going into this whole issue about voting age, and, and which is kind of interesting because I suddenly realized that what they create in Sweden when they're expanding the vote to women uh, and general suffrage for everybody is that they suddenly realize, well, that means that we're going to give the working, the young mobile working class in the urban cities, we're going to give them votes. And they are 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and they are in the 20, up to 24, and they are unmarried and they're unstable. And what are they going to do when they have the vote? So suddenly what they do is they suddenly create a kind of a, and these, these kids, they earn money, they, I mean, they are, they are in all effects adults, but they are then forced into be minors because they are not given the vote. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and and which is kind of and it, suddenly you create something in between sixteen and twenty five, which is something that it's never codified in any law or anything like. But but they're not given the vote, so well, they're it's so it's, 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 yeah. it's codified up here. Yeah, it's codified up there exactly. Well, I think so, in the United States, and you've all heard me say this before, but it, this brings up my to underscore my point about this. In the progressive era, I think, and in the late 19th century, women worked hard to define children as separate from women as dependent because they were trying to become independent adults with citizenship and the right to vote. And so defining adolescence as a dependent period was key to allowing women to get greater equality to, to men within American society. I, I think I've, I have enough evidence to show that it was a somewhat universal argument for many women who argued for suffragists around the world. And this is, this is something that I think helps us to understand this idea of who's dependent in society and who's independent and who we think has the capability to vote and who doesn't, who has citizenship, who has voice, all these things are part of it. So in many ways for me, it's not about childhood because I'm not sure there are many people who actually escape childhood, that they remain in a kind of continual growth. Exactly. They remain children their whole life. Which I hope all of us do. So why, why look at that as a lesser? It actually should be a positive that we carry forward. And instead, yeah about having full citizenship and access to providing a voice in decision-making and the running of society. Yeah. No, well, the, I, I do agree. Yeah, sorry. Well, but, you know, all I can say is this kind of conversation is evidence, the most, I mean, it's just pungent evidence that this is a field that continues to generate and is moving in various kinds of directions. So to, to, to act as Mazza did, that this is kind of an aborted field, which is basically what she said, that it started and then it aborted and it's not going anywhere and that's not placing anyone. It's yeah. just not true. No. It's not true. And it moves in so many important directions. And there are, there are differences among people who look at children and childhood. And there are generational differences, and we have to raise the question of where we're going now. I think all of that, if mass. Yeah, I, I mean, I just want to add, add before we go on, and I think it is about time to go on, but I, I do think, I mean, it's important there also that, I mean, it's not only that childhood is relation, relational, it's also something that the, the character, and I kind of side with you there, is that the character that you ascribe to childhood. Uh, the the signifying elements that kind of distinguishes childhood from 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 other kind of hoods is actually something when you look at it something that exists at all life stages. I mean, dependence and and uh, inabilities and all that. I mean, incompetences, lack of knowledge. So 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 it is. There. I mean, the whole question is whether this issue about agency and the character is is useful to distinguish this period that we study. So, I mean, I think that the, she makes a lot of mistakes there. And I just want to give you credit for what you said there uh, in terms of what the feminist was working for early 1900s. And I can give you a, a wonderful reference because when Ellen Kay 
said that this should be the century of the child. She stole the idea from the idea about the century of the child from another radical, a much more radical lady that wrote a play. Uh, and in that play, she says, there is a woman saying, this has to be the century of the child. We have to free the child. We have the freed, create, free the child uh, from the family. And the state has to take responsibility for the child through schooling, labor laws, blah, 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 blah. And she said, the only way women can be freed from the family is that we first free the child from the family and the state took the responsibilities. And she makes that very, very explicit. And, and I, I, I think I quoted that in, a, in an article that I wrote, but it's so brilliantly expressed. And, and the interesting thing there with the feminists today writing about it, they write about that and they write about her, they don't see it. They don't mention this at all. It was just by chance I happened to open a page here with, with her speech. And I don't write, I mean, she wrote a lot of stuff and, and I wasn't interested in writing, reading her, this playwright. But then suddenly says, what is she saying? We have to free the child from the family before we can free the woman from the family. So I think it's a wonderful, I'll see where I can find it for you. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, I'm You know, I'm quite, quite struck that the issues of our current moment, childhood can play a central role in that. I think I'm not the only one who's a sort of presentist at this moment. And our society is really uh, obsessed with the impact of the pandemic on children. The issues of equity and power that we're wrestling with right now, children are right at the center of that conversation. Um, and, and so, you know, in so far as history speaks to its time, you know, children are a very good lens through which to deal with these issues, I think. And if I may just add, in the current conversations, it has nothing to do with children's self-activity. In fact, their dependency no. is precisely at the center of it, as Chris was suggesting. I mean, they're a football between parents and government and teachers' union. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, the, the, you know, they fight over who, you know, uh, you don't have that in Sweden because you've had schools in session banked. But here, they are really at the, at the mercy, in some ways, of, of these different forces. So does that mean they're not important just because they do, they're, not, they're not active? Let me, let me suggest three themes. I'm just throwing this out. That we're all throwing things out. The first is the alternatives to modernization theory as a way of thinking about the history of childhood. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, what Peter, do you mean more Peter, specific? What do you mean by that? Well, Peter Stearns is, of course, the you know, epitome of modernization views of how the history of childhood has evolved over time. And right. I think there's lots of questioning of that as a guiding principle for our field. And we could discuss how you could conceive of the history that's different from that. That Good. doesn't have as many teleological assumptions embedded in it. That has more emphasis on contingency, et cetera. Then the, the second 
issue is childhood as a developmental process, how it has changed over time, uh, you know, how to give the whole issue of development a historical dimension. You know, we all embrace Piaget, et cetera. Let's see if we can refine those theories by looking at actual children's development over time. And then the third has to do with agency and power. But I think from the perspective that Banks talked about, which is that all people have a mixture of agency and a lack of power. And how does childhood as a uh, stage role differ resemble from other forms of agency and power? I don't know. I'm just throwing those out as three things that I heard us mention. But does, Steve, do you think that that last one also then suggests that uh, understanding childhood is a way also to understand pathways to social justice? Sounds good to me. Because I think that would be very interesting. Very interesting. If we understand why we define certain people as incompetent, uh, dependent, um, not able to mm. make decisions on behalf of themselves, that therefore that helps us understand how we can get to a society with greater social justice on all kinds of issues. Uh, things that maybe people don't directly identify with childhood, like the environment, you know, the path forward for the economy. Um, you know, so, so many different things could be related if we understood better this definition and experience of being defined as a child. Mm. I think, I think that, that has, a, I mean, many ramifications and possibilities to extend that, also including some of the stuff that Martha was talking about and partly also I, in my response to her, the fact that you, could, you use the history of childhood to understand other social process, processes. And I think that could be that, done much more refined than the one example that she does and, and the way she does it. And I also think that, uh, what's her name, uh, Zara, that writes about refugees in Europe at the same time, it's also something that is very illuminating about that. And I think, that's, that's, I think that's a good point and also brings us close to uh, some of the social sciences, uh, the way they've been looking at stuff like that. And I think that our empirical insight and our, our kind of knowledge of actually what goes on can add a whole lot to what the social sciences otherwise would be doing because they neglect the complexities of the issues in, in detail. Stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I would describe it how, how, I mean, how does the history of childhood and children help us to understand other social processes in society about welfare and politics that can illuminate uh, social injustices, uh, social change uh, that is relevant far outside. Uh, for example, for the dependencies of women, dependencies of migrants, immigrants, ethnicity, and and uh, and uh, and older uh, older people. Definitely older people. Well, I mean, and, and I mean historic yeah, so. social justice aspect is that all of this can be 
can fit under a social justice umbrella when you get to the idea of agency and dependency. Yeah. One other I think it's also kind of interesting in terms of what you also said earlier here, that, that the whole notion of childhood in this case is a matter of, of making sure that you place children or young people as dependent. You create them as dependent and want to make sure that they are looked upon dependent and that they are dependent and contained in a sense. And the same thing you could say, for example, early 1900s, what you actually are doing at the same time with elderly and older people. You are actually seeing them as a, as a burden to society and you're seeing them as the big problem. Uh, and you're trying to create them as, as dependent and not active, etc. So it's not only, so, I mean, just looking for activity in itself, in itself is a very bad signifier for childhood. I mean, it has really nothing to do with it. It's something. For a lot of other things too. I mean, yeah. I think one of, you know, at, at any rate, I, I think we are just popping with ideas. Let me, let me add two to our long list. Okay. One has to do with, uh, the, the word I'm using is not the right word, but it's generations, uh, which you know was an important concept in the early 20th century and then fell into disuse for a lot of different reasons. You mean historical generations? Yes. Is that, that what you're talking about? You, you wrote about generations in- Right, but, but yes, I did, exactly. Uh, but that's why I'm asking. You're talking I think about historical generations. Okay. a concept that needs revising or re revitalization at this moment, because we are seeing uh, large groups of people and I don't mean to overgeneralize generations because it can be divided by race and gender and class and everything else. But the generational identity is going to be really important in the time ahead. And we have something to say about that. Uh, and you've, you've written about that. So, I mean, you've really thought through the issue of generation. And that needs, I think, to be brought to the attention of the next generation of scholars. The other is globalization. We're in, of course, in the midst of a revolt against globalization, but it's a powerful force. It's created ideologies that transcend national borders. Uh, the global cultures shape all children's experience. What can historians add to our understanding of globalization and childhood? Thank you, everybody. Wonderful Thank conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online. shcy.org.